Good evening from Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Kristen Welker of NBC News, and I welcome you to the final 2020 presidential debate between President Donald J. Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. In a year like no other, it's hardly surprising that the U.S. presidential election has, so far, been like no other. I perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. Vote now. You pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know he doesn't you're want a senator. The I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you that because question? the you question, question is, the question is, justice, the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, on, man? Listen, who is on your list? The next U.S. president, leader of the free world, is going to be one of these two men. That really is a terrifying thought. But should we in the UK really be interested? And what do the promises being made by both candidates really mean for the economy and investments in the coming months? I'm John Human. And I'm Megan Boxall. And this is Not Your Normal Finance Show. But first, here's Neil Wilson to provide an overview of the situation so far. What we've been looking at mainly is the is the, the the change in the polling data over the last sort of few months and what what that um, is telling the market is going to happen and I think I think you know clearly Biden's got this this sort of strong lead um, nationally that's that's undisputed um, and then Trump is is a lot closer in the battleground states but I think um, there's a real sense certainly from the betting markets it's still very much Joe Biden is 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 likely to win you know it looks like Biden's going to win as you say but but Trump has also made lots of, of noises that you know he, he will not go quietly yeah I, th- I think that was over that's been overstated I think the risk of that and I think you know when when I was um, a couple of months ago we were looking at that and that that was for a time I would say the number one risk um, but that that risk has subsided over the last few weeks, and, and we think that um, Donald Trump is is not going to contest the election um, in, in any meaningful way. There might be there might be some some uh, lawsuits, you know, or recounts in in maybe the you know somewhere like Florida, say. But that that's not a significant problem. In that you know we've seen that before when uh, in two thousand with um, Bush v Gore. Um, I think there was a sort of implication that Trump would sort of um, almost launch a coup. I mean, that, that that was the kind of chatter. And, and I think that that was just totally overstating the likelihood of, of anything, anything like that happening. And then also, I think when you look at the way that the, the postal votes are being counted, a lot of them are being counted um, beforehand anyway. Um, there's only a couple of states where they can vote after the election. Um, and, and we think that probably the only the only state where the demographics are such that um, and I have to we our friends at Blonde Money did some research on this for us and they said that you know the demographics are such that um, only Florida really presents a real risk of a, of a real contest happening where, where there's a disputed result. I mean polls have got it wrong in the past. I mean you know they got it wrong when Trump came to power uh, four years ago. The polls got it wrong on Brexit. Um, you know, is there a chance that the polls have got it wrong again? I think um, I think the poll, polls are better. They're, they're they're better than they used to be. They're more accurate. But yeah, there's definitely a chance. And I think I think that if you look in the key battlegrounds, are certainly um, getting to the point where within a margin. You're you're within the margin for error um, area. You know, around four points difference. And um, Donald Trump was at. At this stage in 2016, Donald Trump was about four points behind Hillary Clinton in the battleground states, which is where he is now. So there is a chance. I think the the, 
the I think what's on Biden's side is probably that there's a lot more people voting this time. You know, the 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 Democrats have got the vote out and they're already queuing. I was watching the news last night and in Florida they're queuing for hours round round multiple blocks to, to cast their votes already and this is like ten days before the election. So I think um there's a significantly higher turnout for um predominantly for Democrats and I think that that will probably uh, be a factor. But there's a part of me that always thinks that Donald Trump's just going to pull it out of the bag somehow. Yeah, I mean, he has, he has had a bit of a shocker of a campaign, really. I mean, you know, it, it, although you, you may argue that it's not his fault that he contracted COVID, his handling of the crisis it ha- has been sort of some, somewhat all over the place. Um, but, you know, and the first debate was obviously a shambles. The debate last night was much better. And, you know, the, the consensus was that, that sort of Trump, Trump won that. You know, has, has he got that potential to pull it out of the bag or has he, has he simply left it too late? I think he does. I mean, I, you know, when we it's, when we when we talk about sort of what we think is going to happen versus what we feel is going to happen, it's always tricky. But I, I have a feeling that Trump Trump could win, and, I, and that's a that's not based on on data, obviously, because the data is telling us otherwise. It's just based on a sense that, um, as last time, I think there's probably a significant portion of people. Um, in the United States, who would not admit to voting for Donald Trump right now, um, and that that will that will be a factor. Um, and I think there might be a lot of um, people who will quietly uh, quietly vote for for Donald Trump without admitting it. Thanks, Neil. Now we're going to run through three of the areas which both of the candidates differ in opinions. First, the economy and the recovery from coronavirus. We built the greatest economy in history. We closed it down because of the China plague. When the plague came in, we closed it down, which was very hard psychologically to do. He didn't think we should close it down, and he was wrong. When you start shutting it down, you take a look at what's happening at some of your Democrat-run states where they have these tough shutdowns. They're hurting people. People know what to do. They can social distance. They can wash the hands. They can wear masks. They can do whatever they want. But they got to open these states up. You folks living in Scranton and Claymont and all the small towns and working class towns in America. How well are you doing? I'm not going to. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm going to be an American president. I don't see red states and blue states. What I see is American, United States. And folks, every single state out there finds themselves in trouble. They're going to start laying off, whether they're red or blue, cops, firefighters, first responders, because teachers, because they have to balance their budget. And the founders were smart. They allowed the federal government to deficit spend to compensate for the United States of America. So a lot of conflicting opinions there. Here's Neil Wilson to explain what it all means. Increasingly, what we've seen is the, the 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 chance of a blue blue wave happening. That they'll take the Senate. That the Democrats will also take the Senate as well. Um, and there's obviously big market implications for that. And I think it's been interesting to see sort of in the news and the kind of the analyst comments and so on that that um, I think it was Bank of America came out a few weeks ago with something saying that, that a blue wave had suddenly become this sort of consensus bullish um, catalyst. So the idea that suddenly you get loads and loads of stimulus from uh, from Congress, you know, you've got a united Congress, White House, everyone singing from the same hymn sheet, they're going to unleash a, a vast amount of stimulus, um, COVID stimulus, and then also massive spending plans as well. Um, and that will that will juice the economy, and that will juice um, stock markets. Um, 
but then that's kind of overlooked some of the key risks that we still think are in the market for the market and particularly for equities that, that would come from a, a Biden, uh, Joe Biden Democrat um, tax plans, uh, which could sig significantly increase um, volatility after the election and could significantly uh, reduce the upside for, for US stocks. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the, uh, as it looked more likely that, uh, that, that, that Biden would triumph, that, that we potentially have this blue wave, that the market, which had initially obviously looked at the Democrats as some kind of threat to, to, to American prosperity and the continued uh, performance of its stock markets has, has actually switched that narrative. Are people just making up narratives to suit <laughs> what's happening at the time now to, to kind of support the continued bullish view of stock markets? I think fundamentally, yeah, that's it. There's a lot of narrative uh, narratives being made up to suit. I think that's that's entirely accurate. I mean, the the, the thing is that with the, the way that the the Fed sits and the, the amount of stimulus that is undoubtedly coming, whether it's Republican or, or or Democrat, it's a vast amount that we're talking about, and it's very supportive to equity markets to keep to keep the the cost of of cash down and to inject that kind of um, amount of money into the system. There is there's nowhere else for it to go except except equities. Um, but I think the the problem with the Biden and blue wave, as I say, is the tax. I mean, the capital gains tax increase that could happen, um, you know, you're looking at it going from, I think it's around 20% up to 40% or something like that. And, and what that would mean if it, if it were backdated to January 2nd, and this is what's um, one of my favorite um, guys that I follow, Paul Tudor Jones, who's probably known to some, some, some uh, invest, many investors. He's a, a, a very successful macro investor and he, he was stressing yesterday that you know it's 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 very much going to weigh on on a lot of the one percent who own these stocks they're going to think they're going to need to uh liquidate ahead of that date um and that would that would create a lot of volatility post-election um, but then what you've got coming in the new year would be this vast amount of stimulus which could be worth 10 percent of gdp again what happened last time with that, it put money in people's bank accounts, which then they put into stocks. So you could then get a rally at the start of the year again after some selling going into the, going into Christmas. Secondly, an issue which is never far from the political sphere, healthcare. We have 180 million people out there that have great private health care, far more than we're talking about with Obamacare. Joe Biden is going to terminate all of those policies. These are people that love their health care. People that have been successful, middle-income people, been successful. They have 180 million plans, 180 million people, families. Under what he wants to do, which will basically be socialized medicine, he won't even have a choice, they want to terminate 180 million plans. We have done an incredible job on health care, and we're going to do even better. I have a follow-up for you, Vice President sure. Biden. It relates to something that President Trump said. He's accusing you of wanting socialized medicine. What do you say to people who have concerns that your health care plan, which includes a government insurance option, takes the country one step closer to a health care system run entirely by the government? What's I your say it's to ridiculous. It's like saying that, you know, we're uh, the idea that the fact that there's a public option that people can choose that makes it a socialist plan. Look, the difference between the president, I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. Everyone should have the right to have affordable health care. 
And I am very proud of my plan. It's gotten endorsed by all the major labor unions, as well as as well as a whole range of other people who, in fact, are concerned in the medical field. So, yeah, healthcare is a, a massive issue in the U.S., obviously a very different system to the one that we're used to in the U.K. Uh, works very well for many, many people, but very, very badly for, for many, many others. So, yeah, a, a, a political hot potato, as it always is here, but perhaps even more so in the U.S. Yeah, it really is. It's massive in the U.S., the, uh, the politics around it. And partly that comes down to, to regulation and regulation around drugs prices as well. I mean... drugs prices is always a hotly debated topic around election time and again again this time around uh, Donald Trump although we didn't have it in that clip is talking a lot about how the cost of prescription drugs has come down and he's actually correct they have the average monthly cost of prescription drugs uh, fell Um, it fell 0.3% not very much but it did it has fallen under his leadership yeah, but I think Joe Biden wanted to fall uh, even further, uh, and that was something that he actually brought up uh, in the debate. Um, he wants insurance premiums reduced. He wants drug prices uh, reduced further by by opening up competition a bit more. Um, so, so yeah, there, you know, there are potentially some uh, some pain to come for the healthcare industry if the Democrats get in. Mm, this is something that's said every time, though, I, I know. And, <laughs> and they haven't really had much success. And that's something that actually Lauren talks about in her history piece this week on funding the. The president, um, the fact that the pharmaceutical industry always has uh, a little bit of funding going on for both presidential candidates, means that they do find it really difficult to regulate the industry because they're being bankrolled by the by the pharmaceutical industry. But yeah, that's one of the reasons why, time after time again, the US struggles to control ha- t- uh, drugs prices in a way that the UK manages to do. Yeah, as we discussed in our uh, cover feature uh, this week. Um, and in fact, we looked at lots of comparisons of international healthcare systems this week, including uh, the US. And actually, on a lot of metrics, the US system looks absolutely terrible. Yeah, which um, is really extraordinary, considering how much they spend on it. Well, they spend a lot more than anyone else per capita, about $10,000. The, the UK, by comparison, spends about four, uh, funding the NHS, largely. Uh, life expectancy is, is shorter. Uh, they have more uh, adults with chronic, multiple chronic conditions, the most obese nation in the world. This is not a, an advert for a working healthcare system, really. <laughs> no, it's really, really not. And I suppose that's a reason why, um, I mean, it comes back as well to what we talked about in our feature in terms of what is healthcare and, and the US struggles because it does have an extremely overweight and extremely unhealthy population. It's difficult to care for people who who need so much of it, and in the US they really do. Mm, absolutely. Perhaps it's uh, as we discussed in the feature, not not uh, the healthcare system that the answer, is, but but health health care, but lifestyle choices. Yes, absolutely. Which I think maybe is probably out of the hands of both of these candidates. I, I don't really hear them talking much about lifestyle choices. It's uh, it's maybe. <laughs> a slightly controversial topic in a nation which is so overweight and actually a lot of the states that really matter florida for example it's not a particularly healthy state so we they're unlikely to go around starting to preach about healthy living when they rely so much on voters in in those crucial swing states um yeah healthcare is not something realistically that's going to be resolved by the next president uh if ever in the u.s I would agree with that. (laughs) And finally, perhaps the most divisive topic of them all, climate change. Climate change, climate warming, global warming is an existential threat to humanity. 
we have a moral obligation to deal with it. And we're told by all the leading scientists in the world, we don't have much time. So uh, we have the Trillion Trees program. We have so many different programs. I do love the environment, but what I want is the cleanest, crystal clear water. Look at China, how filthy it is. Look at Russia. Look at India. It's filthy. The, the air is filthy. The Paris Accord, I took us out because we were going to have to spend trillions of dollars and we were treated very unfairly. When they put us in there, they did us a great disservice. They were going to take away our businesses. I will not sacrifice tens of millions of jobs, thousands and thousands of companies because of the Paris Accord. The Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. But do you We're support the Green New Deal? Pardon me? Do you support that? No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that's a big statement. I support you. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say that Donald Trump actually does make some relatively sensible points about the fact that Russia and China and India are the world's biggest polluters and, and the biggest climate issues that the world is facing are actually out of his hands. Yeah, I, th- I think that is true to a large extent. However, he has to accept that America itself is a very large economy, uh, has some very heavy industries there, uh, has a very large extractive industry, both mining, hydrocarbons, uh, fracking, for example, uh, a very contentious industry, uh, which may have accused of environmental damage over the years. Um, and obviously, just a very large number of consumers driving cars and uh, consuming goods. So, yeah, America has to play its part as well. Um, and obviously we know that, that it, it refused to sign up to the, the, the Paris Climate Accord, um, which was yeah, many, many criticised Donald Trump for. Yeah, well, and that's something that he's sticking to his guns with. And, and that's a lot about how much the being part of the Paris Climate Agreement would cost America and how his argument is that he could spend that money more wisely on American industry and making American industry cleaner. But yeah, you're right. He, uh, it's not, he's not doing very much to uh to make the us any cleaner and maybe that is because he is a bit of a bit of a climate change denier perhaps i mean i think what, what his main concern is that that if you impose heavy uh, environmental regulation on business that you will essentially uh put thousands and thousands of jobs at risk um and, and actually as we, we we see here as well you know it's very easy to talk about greening your country it's very easy for politicians to stand up and say we're gonna run everything off solar we're gonna we're gonna all be driving electric cars actually making that a reality uh, is, is very very different mm, yeah it definitely is and that's something that um that joe biden maybe gets a little bit confused about when he talks about the green new deal he said the green new deal calls for the elimination of non-renewables it actually doesn't the green new deal which is proposed by the the left wing of the democrat party they actually want net zero emissions which is a different thing to no non-renewables net zero emissions is a is a more doable target and that's more about making sure that the the energy that you are the the bad energy that you are emitting is uh, is being offset by other good initiatives non-renewables if you eliminated non-renewables by 2030 you probably wouldn't have an airline industry so that's, that, that is a little bit <laughs> or a silly. shipping industry or a, shipping or a industry, fashion industry so i yeah he's he, he's wrong that that's what the green new deal is proposing but he is potentially right in taking a slightly more central view and a slightly more sensible view that we are not going to eliminate this waste immediately because it's just not something that the modern world can live without 
Yeah, but this, I mean, this is an economic problem, really. Uh, this does tie into the economy. Uh, these discussions have been had over here as well. It's the transition that matters and, and how, that, how that takes place. And, you know, if Trump is not willing to move quickly uh, uh, and, and Biden is promising to move too quickly, you know, there is something in the middle that's going to be the reality. Mm, and there was talked about a lot around the start of coronavirus when uh, the world first went into lockdown, how it might be an opportunity to press reset on on the climate emergency and actually start spending money in the right way when where, where the climate is involved and that's why the green new deal has come out that's it's obviously a uh, a play on the on the new deal which um which was used to help america's economy recover after the last major financial crisis and perhaps that is it is a sensible plan to think about we are in a period of recovery or america will be in a period of recovery anyway in the coming four years is it a time to start really pushing for major environmental change yeah i do wonder how many voters actually care though i've seen the trucks they drive around in well yeah and uh and again it comes back to the most important states and potentially those states they are less they care less than the states like california which is never going to be anything other than democrats which do care about the environment but really that state doesn't matter so much in the grand scheme of the votes indeed so the Americans go to the polls on the 3rd of November. Hopefully sometime soon after that we'll know who the next president will be. There's likely to be lots more twists and turns on the way over the next couple of weeks. Um, we may uh, have given you insight into what some of them may be in the page of the Investors Chronicle in recent weeks. You can look at our five-part series there, uh, looking in detail at various aspects of the US election. Uh, we've looked at media, we've looked at technology, we've looked at healthcare, uh, and we've looked at politics more generally and what it means for markets. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Megan. And uh, we'll be back soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.